Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who good needs morning, to hear this message, good morning, everyone. please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the series we began about four weeks ago, titled Change Your World. The purpose of the series is to remind us of the expectation that Jesus has for us, his church, his people, the expectation to reach the world, or more specifically, to reach our world. In fact, this expectation was one of the final reminders that Jesus gave his disciples right before he ascended to heaven to be with the Father. And I want us to read it together. It's in Matthew 28, verse 19. This is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that this is important for us to know is because we'll never change our world if we don't understand the why. And the why, we're we're surrounded by the why every day. I I, kind of underscored this last week. But the why is the 5.2 billion people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're surrounded by the why every day. We just need to open our eyes. We need to open our eyes, which was the title of last week's message, and begin seeing them through the eyes of Jesus because you can't reach what you don't see. So recognizing that we all have a sphere of influence, that's what we talked about in week one, and that we're to be salt and light in our sphere of influence, that's what we talked about in week two, how those metaphors look, what they look like in our life. I want to conclude the series by giving you the most practical way to change your world. And this is our big idea for this morning. People will remember what you did for them long after they forgot what you told them about Jesus. I want to say that again. People will remember what you did for them long after they forget what you told them about Jesus. Not only that, and and honestly, this was just brought front and center to me Friday evening. We were having dinner with another couple. Not only will people remember what, not only will they remember what you did for them, they'll remember what you didn't do for them as well, especially if you're a Jesus follower. We had dinner with a, a couple Friday evening, and in the course of our conversation uh, with this couple, the lady was talking about the, the challenges she had in her first marriage. Her husband ended up getting a brain tumor, and, and that thing eventually began to grow and eventually began to affect some of his motor skills, some of his basic motor skills, and then eventually his, his cognizant, his, his judgment, decision-making, to the point, to the point, that she almost had to have someone with him constantly. She had to have some help with him constantly. And the church that she was going to at the time, she said people were always quick to tell her that they were praying for her, but she said not a single one ever asked how they could help. She said they would always ask. Every Sunday they would ask, or they they would say, I'm praying for you, praying for you, praying for you and your husband, but not once did a single person offer to help or ask how they could help in any way. And, and, even sadder to me as a pastor, even sadder to me how the more she got into this story telling me about what had happened, the more disdain and contempt I could, I could hear in her voice. We'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for you. But not a single person reached out to help her. And I, I almost felt like apologizing to her on behalf of the church, and it wouldn't be the first time that I've done that as a pastor. 
But the lesson here to me is this. Listen up. If you're not willing to serve, don't tell someone that you're going to pray for them. Seriously. If you're not willing to help out practically, don't tell someone that you're praying for them because it's just so many words. Fortunately, Jesus not only talked about this, he modeled it. He he showed us what it looks like. And it's found in John's account of what we call the Last Supper in John 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. So this would have been that Thursday before the, the, that first Good Friday before Easter. Some churches, in fact, still celebrate this as part on their liturgical calendar. Uh, they call it Monday, Thursday. But that's when this would have taken place, on the Thursday before that very first Easter. It says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. In other words, Jesus knew was about what was about to take place over the next few minutes and hours. He knew that, that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that he was, he was going to be arrested, uh, falsely accused, tortured, beaten, and eventually crucified. He knew all that, and yet, think about this, never once did he consider his own needs. Even knowing all that, even knowing all that, his mind was still on others. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. In other words, Jesus didn't just have love for his disciples. He demonstrated that love to them. How? Well, we're about to find out. But first, I, I need to bring some context to the, the situation. Remember, they're all sitting around a table, or I should say reclining around a table, eating the Passover meal. And at that time in culture, dinner tables were about three feet off the ground. Seriously, they, 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 weren't, they weren't very, very tall at all. So people would actually kind of lay down uh, with their head towards the table and kind of uh, put their, their, their feet and legs out at an angle. Not straight out from the table, but, but kind of at an angle and prop themselves up on, one of their el- on an elbow. And, and, and anyway, that, that's kind of how they ate. Now, I don't know why they did that. You know, I'm thinking maybe they knew that a nap was coming shortly, so they might as well go ahead and assume the position. Um, but regardless, that, that's, that's how it worked back then. In fact, in Luke's account, uh, he says that when the disciples arrived in that room, they reclined at the table because that's exactly what, what they did. The problem was, the problem was lying at that angle meant occasionally someone's feet would be within a few inches of someone's face. Now, that's why it was so important to make sure that a servant or servants had washed everyone's feet before they ate their meals. And at that time in history, Everyone, everyone wore sandals, all right? Everyone had Birkenstocks back then, right? Open, open-toed sandals. And since walking was the primary means of transportation, people's feet and sandals would get very dirty anytime they went somewhere. I mean, everywhere you went, if it hadn't rained, you're going to get dust and dirt on them. If it had rained, you're going get, to get mud and, and junk on them. Not to mention just the regular stuff that is in people's between people's toes and, and that kind of stuff, right? But part, part of the servant's job description at that time was washing the feet of not just the people in the household they were serving, but, but any company that, that would come over. So when you came into a house, the, the lowly servant or servants would come over and, and they would take your, take your sandals off and begin washing your feet before you, I mean, you could be talking to the people that lived there and the servants would immediately come over and begin, they take your sandals off, begin washing your feet. And even while you're continuing to talk with the people that live there, the servants would wash your sandals so that when you left, not only did you have clean feet, but you had clean sandals as well. But washing feet was a dirty, lowly, thankless job. I'm sure no little boys or girls grew up saying, when I grow up, I want to be a foot washer. 
Nah, nah, no, no one aspired to be a, a foot washer. In fact, I was trying to think of uh, something comparable that might help us understand how, how nasty and despicable that job would be. And the closest thing that I could come up with was uh, a few years ago, our church used to do a missions fundraiser. We worked up at Kansas Speedway on Saturday and Sunday during the, the race weekend. And we worked up in the hospitality area. If, you, if you've ever been to Kansas Speedway, they used to have up in turns one and two, they had those huge white tents. And that was the corporate hospitality area where all the, corp, you know, all the big corporations would wine and dine you know, their, their employees and just you know, potential uh, clients and that kind of thing. So we would send a group of 15 or 20 people up to the Speedway Saturday and Sunday mornings, and we would service that area. And part of our description was you know, we would sweep, we would empty trash, uh, anything that needed to be done, but we would also have to clean the porta-potties. And I got it, and this was, remember, this was back when, you know, NASCAR was still real popular before the crowds, before COVID and all that. Crowds were, you know, they were packing out Kansas Speedway. So you can imagine, you know, uh, by Sunday race time, those porta potties were smelling pretty ripe, pretty ripe. And guess who had the task of cleaning those? Family church had that task. And so, even the lowest of the low servants, I'm trying to make a point here, you know, this is something that was, you know, no, people just didn't enjoy or sign up for that at all. So Jesus and his disciples were in the upper room, but apparently there was no servant to wash their feet. We don't know whose house it was, but we do know that Jesus wanted to meet with just his disciples, so we don't know if that's why the feet didn't get washed, but for whatever reason, they're sitting around the table getting ready to eat, and no one had washed the disciples' feet. And none of the disciples thought about this, which is interesting to me. None of the disciples thought, oh, you know what? No one's washed anyone's feet. But Jesus, Jesus gets up, takes off his outer robe, grabs a towel, go gets the water basin, and begins going around and washing his disciples' feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter pushes back. Oh, no, 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 Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And, and Jesus rebukes Peter, I mean, I mean, very hard rebukes him. He said, basically, he says, Peter, look, if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. Yeah, and that's when, you know, Peter hits the other extreme. Oh, then give me a bath. Just pour it all on me then, right? But that's, an, that's really worth a sermon itself. Jesus told Peter, look, if you don't let me set this example, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part of me or no part of my kingdom. So let's read on here. Jesus washes their feet. And then he says to them in the, in the next couple of verses, John 13, 14 to 15, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Now, let, let me pause here to say that if it's, if it's not beneath Jesus to serve, then it should not be beneath us to serve. All right, just saying. If it's not beneath him to serve, it shouldn't be beneath us to serve. He says, you also should wash one another's feet. And then in this next verse, unapologetically, Jesus calls out everyone who claims to be one of his followers for all time throughout all of history. And this is what he says in John 13, 15. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, right, then you're going to have to do what I did. What did he do? He served. He served. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The challenge is to follow the example of Jesus set for us by being a servant because we don't naturally think to be a servant. We, we, 
we're more selfish than we realize. We really are. Since Adam and Eve fell, we're all born into sin. Right? We, we, we know that, which, which means in, 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 a, in, a, in a way, we're kind of hardwired to be selfish. We, don't, we, we oftentimes don't want to be, but we, we just kind of gravitate that way. We are more preoccupied with ourselves than we are with others. It's like the college graduate who had just finished college. He was at a job interview. The human resources person was interviewing him. And at one point asked the, the, the new graduate, said, so what kind of salary were you looking for? The graduate said, oh, I don't know, in the neighborhood of maybe 120000 a year, depending on the benefit package. Well, human resources person says, what would you say to a package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental company matching retirement fund to 50% of your salary and a company car leased every two years, let's say a red Corvette? The graduate says, wow, are you kidding? The guy says, yeah, but you started it. <laughs> I'm afraid that we're more selfish and preoccupied, preoccupied with us than we realize. And if you still doubt that, then, then do this. I got something for you to do. The next time you look at a group picture that you're in, who do you look at first when you look at that picture? Come on. Who do you look for first when, you're, when you see a group picture that you're in? Who do you look for first? busted, right? The point being, being a servant doesn't come naturally for us, but even though serving doesn't come naturally to us, God, God still has a way of blessing us if we'll obey him in this area. See, Jesus could have taken that parental approach, uh, that, that approach that our parents took with us, you know, when they asked us to do something that we didn't want to do, and we asked why, right? And, and, and what was the, come on, help me out here, and the, the, the comeback was, because I said so, Right? See, Jesus could have taken that approach, right? But he didn't. He didn't. In, in, in some kind of divine, supernatural natural way, Jesus kind of instills some sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in us when we obey him. You, you ever notice that? It's like, I know I did this for you, but somehow, some way, I feel good about myself. I feel good about what I did, right? Like those weekends that we did those fundraisers at, at Kansas Speedway, those were long days. We, we'd have to be up there by seven or eight. And uh, we're, you're on your feet most of the day, and we had to stay up there until after the race was over. And, you know, so by Sunday afternoon when I got home, sitting down, I'm tired, I'm worn slick. But you know what? There was just a sense of, I felt good. I felt good about raising thousands of dollars for the missionary families that we support. In fact, the first time we did this, we had never done that before. The first time we did it, we sent a check for almost $2,000 to Abba House Ministries in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Dave and Joyce Moore is a, a couple that we uh, uh, supported for many years. And a couple days later, I got an email from, from Joyce, and she said this. She said, Pastor, what'd you guys do, rob a bank? <laughs> Obeying Jesus. Obeying Jesus. Even in serving others will always benefit us. So let's read on, and I want you to look at this next verse carefully. In John 13, verse 17, Jesus says, now that you know, everyone say no. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do. Everyone say do. Do them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do. The blessing comes not from knowing, all right? Not from knowing, but from doing. There's a difference. There's a difference. Every blessed person that I know is a servant because God blesses us when we serve. That word blessed, is, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting word. 
It actually translates, the, the closest translation in our English language would be happiness. But, but it's not happy in the sense that we would think of happiness or being happy. I mean, I'm happy every Taco Tuesday, right? But, but the happiness that comes with serving, no, 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 it, it's much more deep than that. It's much more significant than that. I think the best way to make a difference in someone else's life is by serving them in some capacity. So instead of beating around the bush, instead of sending some cryptic underlying message in my sermon this morning, I just want to tell you up front what my agenda is. My agenda is for as many people, of, as many of you as possible, to a week from Saturday, come and join us for Serve Day as we reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus extended in our community. That, that, that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do here. I, I want as many of you as possible to join us a week from Saturday for our Serve Day. Now, the truth is we have some people who serve year-round. You know, that, that's, just, that's just how they're wired, right? Not everyone is wired like that. And if you're not, you shouldn't feel bad about it, right? Because not everyone's wired like that. But, but this is something that I think everyone should do at least once or twice a year. And that's why we have a serve day in our community. A day where we can tell our community, hey, let us show you what Christians really look like. Let us show you what Christians really look like. So I want to challenge you. If you haven't signed up, to help us change our part of the world here in Wellsville a week from Saturday, I want you to do that. I want you to sign up for that. I think this is something that all of us need to do together. So having said that, what, what does being a servant look like? I mean, we talk about serving and being a servant. What does that look like? You know, it's interesting that even though the word servant appears hundreds of times in the Bible, there's actually about seven different Greek words used for servant. But I, I want to underscore just three of them because I think they kind of best um, give a picture of, of, of what it means to serve like Jesus served. So the first word that I want to highlight is this word right here. It's doulos, the Greek transliteration. The English transliteration is D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. And the meaning is bondservant, bondservant. And, and the scripture reference is Mark 9, 35. It says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the doulos, the bondservant of all. So, so what exactly is a bond? How is a bondservant different than a servant? Um, at that time in history, understand that at that time in history, about 50% of the population worked as, as slaves or as servants. That, that, that was just kind of how the economy was. That, that's how it operated. In fact, if you owed someone some money, then you could work for them to pay off that debt that you owed them. But in, in, in the Hebrew economy, they, they, they had this thing called the year of Jubilee. And every seven years, then, then people, that, that people that were paying off a debt, whether they had paid it off or not, they were allowed to go free. They, they could just leave, whether they, and that was just, and, and, the, and the people that owned them had to let them go, whether, whether the debt was paid off or not, right? And, and, and so sometimes, if, if the, the, the family that the slave worked for, the servant worked for, um, if, if they were treated well, the, the, the servant, the slave would oftentimes just agree to go ahead and continue working for the family. And that happened a lot because, you know, a lot of the slave owners, they, they, were, they were nice people. They took care of their servants. And so, at those year of jubilees, if the, if, the, if the debt wasn't paid off, or even if it was, if a servant wanted to continue on with that family, they had the option of doing that. At that point, their, their title shifted from servant to bond servant. 
That's the difference. It's like where you're, you're, you're serving willingly. It's not like you have to do this, that you're willingly serving. And so th- this, this word contains, doulos contains a very powerful principle that applies to our relationship with Christ and even to others. And the principle is simply this. Bond servant carries the idea of lifetime commitment. Lifetime commitment. And it goes without saying, as Jesus followers, serving Jesus should be a lifetime commitment. So, so doulos, bondservant, one who willingly chooses to continue serving even though they don't have to. One who continues to serve because they've been treated so well. The second word I want us to look at, diakonos, diakonos. And, and, and the, the English word that in our English language is deacon, deacon, from which we get our English word deacon. Now, I don't know about you, but in the church that I attended growing up, the deacons were the ones that stepped outside behind the church between Sunday school and worship to smoke cigarettes. But I don't think that's what God had in mind when he established that office of deacon for the church. But to understand that this facet of serving, diakonos, we need to look at a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, verses 26 and 27 says, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your diakonos, your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your, and here the word doulos is is used. So the same word, but it's translated differently in each of those places. But but other than someone who holds the office of deacon in a local church, what what exactly is a diakonos? You know, what what, what does that mean? What what does that look like, right? Um, the, The best way to, I think for us today to understand what this word means in our, in our, in our culture today would be like a, a waiter at a restaurant. And I, I was sharing this at the 8 o'clock service, and, and Dana uh, was sitting up front here, and I know that she works uh, part-time at, at uh, Smoke Creations over in Ottawa. And, and anyway, so I know that, you know, she, she works as a waitress. But she came up after this message, and she said, she said, you know, Pastor, it's interesting because they don't call them waiters or waitresses anymore. I said, what do they call them? She said, servers. And I thought, bingo, that's it, servers, because that's what they are. They are servers, right? Now, I've never waited tables, but I've eaten, I've eaten out enough to know a good waiter from a bad one. I, I, I do know that, and you do too, right? Because a good waiter, you think about this, a good waiter has to be totally focused on her area, his area, or, or tables, however many tables they have, because they're usually assigned an area or so many tables. And, and to do their job well, they need to be totally locked in and focused on those in their area, right? You know, you, you need some more water, you know, keep the, you know, if it's a Mexican restaurant, you know, keep the chips and salsa coming, right? You, 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 know, you know how this works, right? So good waiters, good servers know how to keep the, 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 the customer satisfied. And in order to do that, in order for a waiter to do their job best, they have to be totally locked in on that. And here, here's our key word. Here's the principle that goes with diakonos, focused, focused. A diakonos, that type of servant is focused on the needs of others. Doulos, bond servant, someone who, who serves willingly. Diakonos, deacon. And then the third word that I want us to look at is the word huperetis, huperetis, and this word, the, the literal meaning of this word is under rower, under rower. And to understand this, I, I, we need to look at a, a statement by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He's actually quoting Jesus in this verse. He's actually talking to King Agrippa, 
And he's relaying the story of how he came to know Christ, how he was traveling on the road to Damascus, how the, the bright light came and, you know, knocked him down and, and the voice came out of heaven. So Paul is sharing the story of his salvation experience with King Agrippa. And, and so he comes to the point where, where Jesus spoke to him in that incident. So that's what I want to read in Acts 26, 16. And Jesus spoke to Paul and said, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a, and here's the word, huperetes, an underrower, a servant, and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. So what exactly is an underrower? Anyone ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? If you haven't, set aside about three days to watch it because I think it's about that long. But there's a scene in that movie where the, 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 the you know, ships back in, they had those, those slaves that sat in the, in, in the, in the uh, belly of those huge ships with those oars that would come out the side of the ship, right? And, and, and the under rowers were the slaves that worked there and would, in unison, they'd have someone, you know, kind of, you know, keeping them uh, in unison. And they would, and they would, they, they basically were the power source of those ships back then, right? And the thing is, no one saw them, right? except the other slaves that were there rowing with them. They, they were such a critical part of, of that boat's mission and success, and yet no one saw them. No one saw them. So the principle, the principle here with Huperetes is this right here. When we serve, we magnify Jesus, not me. A week from Saturday, when we go out in our community and begin to serve, this isn't about family church. It's not about me. It's not about Kyle. It's not about anyone other than Jesus, period. I mentioned earlier how we used to, you know, do those missions fundraisers up at the Speedway. And, and uh, it was kind of a humbling experience, really, because we had to put on those citywide vests to identify us as, you know, servants, you know, servers up there. Because if someone needed something, then they could hunt us down and say, hey, can you come pick this up or empty that or, or whatever? So it was sometimes kind of a humbling thing. And especially when you could tell people, you know, I'm in there cleaning the potties, you know, and you could tell people kind of walk by and kind of look at you like, you know, kind of look down their, their nose at you. And I so bad, I, I, I so bad wanted to say, you know, I have a master's degree. <laughs> I, I do, you know. But, you know, that, that, that would, but there, there were a few times when, when, when people would kind of ask, you know, and, and so I could engage them in conversation and I would tell them, you know, why we were there, what, you know, what are, where we were from, why we were there. And in almost every instance, the people were greatly impressed. So in other words, I was making Jesus famous and that's what, that's what we want to do. We want to make Jesus famous when we have this serve day. Do loss. Diakonos, huperetes. Put all three of those Greek words together, and here's what a true servant looks like. A servant is a fully committed Jesus follower who is focused on others and seeks to make Jesus famous by reaching out and serving those in need. If you really want to change your world, listen, if you really want to change your world, then yes, recognize your sphere of influence Learn what it means to be salt and light, but also pray that God would give you a servant's heart. Most of you know that I had uh, rotator cuff surgery about seven, a little over seven, seven and a half weeks ago. And if you've ever had rotator cuff surgery, you know it can be a very uh, painful experience. A very the rehab is is is, is a pr pretty involved, lengthy process as well. I'm in my third week of physical therapy right now. 
And I'm just saying, you need to pray for physical therapists. Those people need to get saved. I'm just saying, they, they hurt you. They, they hurt you uh, big time. Uh, actually, I, 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 you know, and, and mine, Megan over here at the, she's actually watched a couple of our services. So if you're watching Megan, I really didn't mean that. You're doing a good job with me. But, but, but Megan really does do a good job with me. Um, but through this process, um, especially in the first couple of weeks after the surgery, um, I was pretty helpless. I mean, Sue, Sue kind of waited on me hand and foot. I, I had to help me get dressed, you know, tie my shoes, you know, every, drive me around. I mean, she worked everything from my chef to my chauffeur, you know, during that time. And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I wasn't sleeping well because, you know, I had that sling on. You're trying to sleep in a, you know, and we have a good recliner, but sleep only gets so good in a chair, I'm saying, you know. So I wasn't sleeping well. And, you know, so I would, you know, I, I, there's times I'm sure I wasn't pleasant, you know, to, to serve, you know, you know, during that time. But I, I couldn't help but think. as I watched her serve me during that time, I thought of a good way to conclude this series, Change Your World, and how my wife has modeled that servant's heart so well and so graciously, even, even, even when there are times it wasn't easy for her to do. I think, you know what, if, if, if that meant so much to me as her husband, how much more of an impact could that have on people that, you know, just, just acquaintances, yeah? just, you know? You're not even related to them. Sometimes, in some cases, you, don't even, you just met them but you're willing to, to, to serve them, to serve them. Those can be powerful moments, and that's what I'm praying for on our serve day, a week from Saturday. The most practical way to change your world is not by telling them that Jesus loves them, but by showing them that Jesus loves them. Doing something for them that is totally unexpected as unexpected as Jesus getting up from that table, the Son of God, never mind that it's the Son of God here, but just the things that are going through his mind, knowing what he's about to go through, he's the only one that thought. He's the only one that thought, you know what? These feet need to be washed. Took off his outer robe, got a towel, went and got the water basin, and went around and washed the disciples' feet. The principle of washing the feet was not that if God serves us, we should serve God. The principle is because he served us, because he gave himself as a ransom for us, then we should serve others. According to Jesus, the way that we find meaning, contentment, fulfillment, and purpose in life is by serving others. And when we do that, then, we, then when we do that, then we'll change our world as well. So, I'm going to give you some questions to kind of keep the discussion going through this week, and then I want to pray for you. Of the three definitions for servant that we looked at, which one made the greatest impact on you? And how can you develop that aspect of servanthood in your life? What is something that moves your heart for other people? What is something that moves your heart for other people? And in what practical ways can you change your world when you see someone else that, that has a need or is struggling? And then third, I want you to talk about a time when someone loved you by serving you, when you were struggling. How did those actions impact your life? And what did you learn about God as they served you in that situation? Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Lord, 
I pray, Father, that you would put a servant's heart in each of us. And even though we don't always serve like we should, help us to get better at that, Lord. Forgive us for our selfishness. And I do pray that you would use Family Church a week from Saturday to be salt and light in our community. I pray that, I pray that our, our light would expose any darkness that engulfs our community. I pray that you would season our speech with, with the salt of your grace and, and wisdom as we give an, an answer for the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And as we serve our community, use us to exemplify the love that you have for people and the hope that you offer those who would surrender their lives to you. While your heads are bowed, maybe you're here this morning or part of our eFam watching online and maybe you're the hurting one. Maybe you're the one that, that needs to be served in some capacity. Maybe you're the one that needs to know that there's hope. If that's you, it would be my honor to, to pray for you so that you can come to know our servant God in a very personal and profound way and rest in the hope that he offers you through Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, if you just be willing to pray this simple prayer after me, just say, Lord Jesus, I, I need you, Lord. I need you. I, I know I'm broken. I know I can't fix myself. Forgive me for living my life selfishly without you. And right now I surrender my heart, my life to you, Jesus. Forgive me. Come live inside of me by your Holy Spirit. Change me and use me to make a difference for you and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.